welcome to another edition of Look Who's Talking, intriguing discussion all about the life of Christchurch New Malden. I'm Anna Larkin and here on the show this month I have regulars Stephen Kurt. Hello. And Nathan Larkin. Hello. Plus our special guest for this month, Alison Hill. Hello. In this edition of the show, we'll be talking about the Why I'm a Christian series of talks that we always have during August at our services and their particular value. Um, We'll also be discussing the issues faced by young people today as they leave college or university. Um, We'll have an update on the progress with our building project and we'll be talking about Christianity and its links to politics. And then finally, we'll finish up by talking about what it's like to be brought up in a Christian family and the advantages and disadvantages to that. But um, let's begin by talking about the Why I Am a Christian talks that are now a tradition here at Christchurch during the summer. Um, I think we've been doing these for a number of years now. Um, so Stephen, if I come to you first, how long have we been doing them and, um, and why? Why do we do them? Well, I think it's about um, seven or eight years in one form or another. Um, but August can often be rather, um, or can come over as a bit of a dead month in church. Yeah. And, um, and also, it's a time when I try to sort of ring the changes so that sort of uh, regular preachers get a bit of a break, um, myself included. Um, and it occurred to me a few years ago that it would be a good idea to, uh, to ask members of the congregation to simply talk around the theme of why they're a Christian. Testimonies could be quite powerful. But I tended to think that they're important enough to to make into the sermon rather than have uh, in addition to it. So um, yeah, I started off doing it, and it and it became really really popular. Um, people were a bit horrified when I asked them um, to speak, but um, you know it's um, it's become you know as you say a regular feature of August, and people really look forward to it. And I think they're among the most popular downloaded sermons. Yeah, yeah they are. Mm. Yep. They've got a separate area on the website as well. They have, they? well, because they were so popular, and I think because they're such a good sales pitch for Christchurch, uh, they're now on the front page, which is where people can access them from. But people typically, I always tell people when I ask them uh, to do this, to tell a bit of the story of their life, which often with photographic sort of evidence. So That's my favourite Yeah, bit. wedding <laughs> pictures with flares from the 70s. You think any of that in Alison's sermon, um, unfortunately. Um, and baby photographs and that sort of thing. Um, but then for people, the brief really is for people to tell the story of their life and the progression of it uh, in terms of the you know, distinct stages within it, um, how they've come to faith, and really, you know, in a nutshell, what nails it for them, why they're a Christian. Right. And um, so, Nathan, I think you've done one as well, but Alison, yeah. I will come to you first because mm-hmm. you've done one most recently, just on Sunday. Um, did you feel nervous doing it? Um, and did you find it difficult putting it together or did you did you already know exactly what you wanted to say? Um, I guess it was something I'd thought about having sat through a lot of these talks before um, over the years and heard a lot of people talk about particularly listening to my mum's um, last summer because yeah. I helped her proof. Did you have editorial control? Yeah, did you? I did do editorial <laughs> Although obviously she came up with the main ideas so it wasn't completely me taking over the show. Um but yes, yeah, so I think I'd already kind of got an idea of what I wanted to say. Um, but you didn't seem nervous when I asked you, when I pounced on you. You, <laughs> you were one of the less horrified. Well, it sounded like you'd, from, from listening to it, it sounded like you'd kind of braced yourself for it a while <laughs> yeah. ago. I was also walking in late to the 9.30 service. 
um, a couple of months ago when you asked me, and I felt like I couldn't really say no at that oh, point. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> there there you go. That's the prime time to ask people. Just for anyone who's late, just watch out. <laughs> it did seem like you were very, um, you know, it did seem like it was a story that you had really thought through mm. in, a, in advance, but yeah. Yeah, I had sort of mulled over my mind. I think the benefits of being asked several months in advance was that it had been in the back of my mind for quite a while, so okay, I just yeah. thought mm. it over, particularly when I was on holiday in two weeks, of just wandering around the countryside. and. Well, you, didn't, you didn't seem that nervous either. I didn't think it was that, yeah, I wasn't actually that nervous. I found the first sort of five minutes actually getting up in the pulpit and then suddenly mm. seeing all these people looking at you <laughs> and yeah. expecting you to come out with something really profound. And um, some of them pull funny faces, don't they? Yeah. It's not until you're up in that pulpit you realise um, <laughs> that the faces people pull when they're listening to a sermon are not necessarily, well, hopefully they're not an accurate indication of how they feel about it. Mm. Because um, some people look incredibly stern. Yeah. Um, I have a really grumpy resting face. So <laughs> she does. I'm like, really, like sometimes if I'm sitting on a bus, people come up to me and go, cheer up, love. <laughs> so I'm, I'm always really conscious when I'm sitting in, in church. Try, I tr deliberately try to smile because otherwise yeah. I worry that I'll look like mm. I'm disagreeing with everything. Yeah, I so. definitely remember preaching and, and looked down and there was at least one person who was just giving me Mm. Like just a terrible kind of look, <laughs> and I thought, oh dear, what have I said this time? Yeah. And uh, it's because they're concentrating on But then, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, then at the end, they came up and said, oh thanks, I really enjoyed yeah. that. And I thought, what? Tell yeah. me, please. Well, I, tr I try and laugh heartily. <laughs> yeah. Uh, mm. At anything that's you know slightly funny, um, but it was a cracking sermon, Alison. Mm. It it was really really good. Mm. Um, and so you said you you didn't feel nervous. Had you ever done a talk like that before, like at another event or? Not um, really. So. At university, I was quite involved with the Christian Union, and so I'd led a couple of meetings in terms of getting up at the front and saying the prayers and keeping things moving, but never actually anything for that sustained length of time. Mm. Yeah. But I think once I think the hardest bit is actually just getting up and starting talking. Once you're there, getting going, it just sort of carries on. And I mean, the thing that really um, I, I thought was so... One of the many things I thought was so good about it um, was the whole thing about showing vulnerability. And I think these yeah. Wyoming Christian mm. talks, when they really nail it, I think is when people are able to say why they're a Christian through tricky times that they've had and maybe still are having. Mm. And so it doesn't come over as this, um, when you become a Christian, all your problems disappear. Mm. But that, um, yeah, I, I'm battling with this. This is what I find tricky. If I'm honest, God didn't seem very um, evident to me at that point. But now looking back, I can perhaps see this, and this is still a struggle for me, etc. Um, and you know, you did that, um, you know, very strongly. And I yeah. think I think that's what helps people, because mm. um, inevitably, um, people will see the clergy, particularly at church and regular preachers, in a in a sort of particular way. They can easily think, well, they are sort of full time at this, and you know, they're always going to be more convinced by it than sort of normal in inverted commas people but I think you know what, what it breaks down the clergy laity yeah divide doesn't yeah. it yeah and I mean I I grew up with a listening to a sort of testimony style that all sort of sounded like versions of a road to Damascus kind of 
conversion. Mm. You know, the um, I wasn't a Christian. I was involved in this, and I'll sometimes at times bigging up the oh, I was a I was a bad one. You know, I, I, <laughs> honest, I, don't know. I know. Well, we've got Heather Perrin this Sunday. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm really worried about what we're going to discover about her um, early life. But, but it almost it was it's bizarre looking back on it. But that um, the ones that people would say what a great testimony were the ones where that someone had been terrible. Yeah, it's got to be crossing the switchblade type stuff. Yeah, yeah. And, and then uh, often part and parcel with that came a and things are great now things are mm. wrapped up neatly and so strong was that kind of paradigm that i even i can remember as a kid feeling like my actual story couldn't have been a real christian mm. story mm. so i kind of find myself trying to make up points of conversion and yeah. you know mm. because i just didn't think my story was interesting enough yeah. or you know it, it didn't contain what it needed to contain yeah. so i, I but find you hear that all the time people say well my testimony is not very exciting Stephen." Yeah. and i'm saying look we don't we don't <laughs> you know it's just got to be real yeah mm. and uh they are all listenable to when someone tells their story you can't help listening I know I've never heard a boring one of all the yeah. Why I'm a Christian yeah. talks. They've never been boring. No, well, they can't be really, they, can they? Because otherwise people's lives rather. There's such a wide range of people who do them yeah. or who have done them. And one of the things that has struck me is that they, there is always something in their story that will resonate with me or, yeah. you know, maybe mm. something mm. that I can ad- identify with or maybe they've been through something that if I haven't been through it, somebody close yeah. to me has. And mm. you, you find that you've got more in common yeah. Um, than than you expected, I yeah. think very often, yeah. and and you always end up feeling like you know that person much Absolutely. better. Absolutely. I mean, did you feel? That, did you find Alison that stuff fell into place for you as you prepared it? You think, oh yeah, that was a crucial stage, or? Yeah, I guess I did. I saw definitely saw themes emerging, um, particularly when I was thinking of a couple of important points um, when I was sort of about ten, eleven, twelve, that sort of age, and mm. um, the idea of Jesus being King of our lives. Um, not just sort of when we're at church on a Sunday, but mm. in everything we do. Mm. And it wasn't until I went back and looked at that, I realised actually at several points that it had become more real to me um, yeah. and that actually it was some sort of progression and it wasn't just a random isolated moment. Yeah, yeah. see, I, that's what I really enjoyed. I found it really refreshing and I've heard it in a number of people's stories, but the given that I did kind of make up testimonies when I was a kid because that's what I thought I needed to hear people get up and, and you just say you know I don't think there was a point I ever would have said I wasn't mm. a Christian mm. well, for me that's that's a that as a youth worker that's an incredible thing to be able yeah. to say and that's mm. exactly what we hope yeah we, we should rejoice in that shouldn't we? we yeah of course it we get the other time John Palmer be. in the evening yeah was very very different mm. wasn't yeah. it quite you a know, dramatic com- completely yeah. different in style and you know but but this um really very very dramatic from nowhere conversion really mm. Mm. um having come from really no christian background at all yeah. Uh, yeah it was absolutely remarkable really but i think almost anyone i've spoken to who's um had to do one um and maybe even especially those that were most nervous and i mm. i find this um the opportunity to sit down and ask yourself yeah. the question why am i a christian and what yep. you know to to go back through your your life and to write down the things that were have been significant in your life and to reflect it's actually it's a real privilege it's a real you know for anybody who who does get asked in the future and might yeah. be nervous about yeah. Stephen asking i you know i find it really rewarding and really challenging mm. and uh, you can yeah. see that nerve i start conversations with people around june july and you can see they're nervous about i might pop the question <laughs> to them. you know there's that tension in the air you know well, I think it's it's quite a unique thing to do, isn't it? Because even people who are used to preaching 
um, this this is different because it's your story, yeah. isn't it? It's mm. you you know. Well, some of them have found it harder. You I know, it's interesting. We've had some people who've done quite a lot of preaching. Who this has been a particular challenge because you know it's more personal. Mm. I think it comes back to that you know that vulnerability word again. Yeah. You know, it, it's that's both what's difficult, but is also what makes it work and so special a series and yeah. and and I I guess that's a, it's a challenge to us all those listening and those those speaking because when we just said a second ago you know you, you hear their story and you know these are people you've maybe been in church with f sometimes for like 30 years or whatever and you find out hugely significant things yeah. that have shaped mm -hmm. them as people and in a way this is great that the series yeah. exists but the challenge is surely yeah. we shouldn't need that I know. to, to mm -hmm. well, often they say that community together. You know, often they say that about funerals Mm. that people you know, discover loads about the person they didn't know at their funeral. And I've mm. always thought that's a bit tragic, that yeah. we should mm. sort of yeah. do them earlier. Um. But yeah, I mean, so I, I guess it, it can be there as a as a rallying cry to vulnerability yeah. within the whole mm. community and the, you the said, sharing with each other. You said, Alison, didn't you, that Susanna's yeah, one. Yeah, so I remember Susanna Alexander, or Susie's home as she now is, um, a few years ago. And I remember being particularly struck by hers because she got very emotional mm. during it and um, talking about particularly hard moments in her life mm. um and it was memories of that the main thing that i wanted to also try and model some vulnerability because i think those yeah. are the talks are the most helpful mm. when people have gone through really tough times and are willing to share those really tough times but then see how even in the midst of that god was at work and, and how yeah. they managed and openness to almost always inspires openness back from yeah. other people mm. you know it's uh, yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was a crucial moment, really, because the whole thing about marriage breakup and it being spoken about openly from the front of church mm. was still mm. something fairly new, I think, at that stage. And, and that did make a big impact. And I think for people who'd been through uh, marriage breakup, that was a very um, sort of crucial moment, really, um, when when Susanna did that, that particular one mm. Christian talk. And I guess that's what you get in in the series is people you know you get the breadth of uh, human experience because yeah. it is people yeah. and their stories and and you get that when you sit down and talk to them hopefully but but mm. it's a chance for us to to realize just how diverse a community we are and, yeah. and how many different backgrounds we've come from and and yet we're here mm. together on this Sunday to worship the same God yeah. and to yeah it's a it's an incredible thing. Um, Stephen, have you done uh, why I'm a Christian? Do you know I haven't. Huh. Well, I think perhaps mm. you ought to. I know. Because of all people, I think <laughs> we should know why you're a Christian. Do you know, I haven't. And each year we've done it, I've thought, should I put myself down? Now, what I've tended to do is bits of my story have cropped up in yeah. in other mm. sermons. So we did a spin-off from it once called My Story of Mission, where I talked mm. about a particularly crucial year in my life back in 1988, during my gap year when I worked, when I worked in a church in Lewis. Um and I've done a few of those things over the years, which I did think this year, particularly because we had a gap in the 6.30 programme, and I thought, well, shall I do one of them? And it was partly because I tend to give myself a break from preaching over August. But part of me thought, well, actually, have I sort of covered this in different sermons? But maybe I should. Maybe I should. Yeah, I think I think that would be... A and of course, I'm not the only person on the panel who hasn't done a why I'm a Christian. Yes, so I thought that was yeah. a dangerous <laughs> question to ask. I'm not the vicar. <laughs> true, true. But you are the administrative And assistant. the other administrators. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Elizabeth took some persuading. I mean, the interesting thing was that Alison's mum, uh, Elizabeth, did a brilliant sermon last year. Mm. When I first asked Elizabeth um, two years before that, um, 
she was less keen to do it, but, but I said, well, look, I'll ask you again in a year's time. And I forgot, and I've done this with uh, Heather Perrin, I think I did this as well. And uh, Elizabeth admitted to me last year, she said, oh, I was really relieved when you <laughs> forgot. <laughs> and <then> I, came, <laughs> I came back a year later. But actually, quite often, if people are sort of a little bit nervous about doing it or a little bit reluctant to do it, that's actually often the qualification for I was going to say, that's a good sign, usually. It is a very good sign, yeah. Um, well, let's move on quickly. <laughs> <laughs> but you better say who we've got coming up because oh, yes, people might yes. want to. We've got so um, so we've had we've had Alison. She's just done it, and then um, for the rest of August at, at the nine thirty service, we've got Heather Perrin this Sunday, um, and then Rebecca Kurt and Rob Shrimpton. And they repeat them at eleven. So, so they'll be, be nine thirty and eleven, um, and then at eleven o'clock um, we had John 6:30, Palmer yep. at six thirty. Oh, we sorry, six thirty. We had John Palmer, and then we are going to have Diana Elston, Katie Loughman, and then Rachel Cook. Um, so is Rachel Cook coming? Is she is she back already? I hope for she'll be back for it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, there's a particular what what I've particularly. She will be back for that one. I think she's uh, maybe away before then. But this year, I've particularly wanted to have a an emphasis on some really much younger people doing it. So uh, Alison's 23, Rebecca's 18, Rachel Cook. 21. 21. 21, yeah. yeah. Um, and I think that's... My younger brother said recently, he goes to Chatham Baptist Church, and he said at that church they've got quite a, um, a sort of custom of having much younger preachers. And he said it's really inspiring. Mm-hmm. And I think this was at the back of my mind. Um, okay. And... Uh, I think it is. I think it's really inspiring for those of us who are older when we see people like Alison that I knew from the age of 10 um, when they get up in the in the pulpit. You know, it, it is very moving and inspiring and challenging, really, because mm. you think, oh, crumbs. Yeah, because even know. when Alison was talking about some of the youth groups she'd been in, there was at least one of them that I'd kind of yeah. yep. been leading when yeah. she was in it. Very deeper, back in the So, yeah, it's just really nice to see someone who's yeah. who you've kind of worked with yeah coming through and yeah doing such a brilliant sermon mm-hmm. yeah and of course all of these people so um Alison and Rebecca mm-hmm. and um Rachel are all um around the age where they are facing the prospect of kind of what to do next mm. so finishing full-time education or one phase in their full-time education and deciding what to do next which brings us on to our new topic um, and I, I think that's some, it's one of the biggest issues facing young people at the moment. We hear loads in the news about students leaving university with massive debts, about graduate unemployment, um, about all of these unpaid internships and whether we should do away with them altogether or whether they're just important and a necessary evil. Um, and, um, and how I think more, more students than ever before are returning um, to live with their parents when they finish university and struggling to find jobs. So, um, Alison, if I come to you first, you've mm-hmm. left university very recently. It was just last yeah, summer, wasn't last it? So summer. almost exactly a year. Yeah, Would pretty much. Yeah, yeah, a year ago. Yeah, years since it came out. Um, so what has your experience been? And, you know, do you, think, do you think that people are kind of overplaying how tough it is? Or do, do you think that's accurate? Um, what's your experience been? Um, so I guess I think it probably always has been quite an odd time of life for people. Cause I think up until this point your life has been more or less mapped out. So yeah. you go to school and then you generally go to university or college. And then it says you come to the end of that and suddenly you've got sort of 40, 50 years of working life ahead of you. <laughs> and you're not entirely sure what you're going to do unless you did something particularly vocational. Um, and so I think that's sort of part of the, the general uncertainty of what, what we're going to do. Yeah. What happens if I pick something that I absolutely hate? 
Um, and then you add into the mix sort of the current job climate, which yeah. I've got a lot of friends who, like me, have been doing sort of short-term internships, but then really struggling to actually get an actual permanent job yeah. um, and sort of move beyond that to actually getting something that is mm. a salary that you can actually live on and got that job security, which means that then you can move out of home. Especially of, in an area like this, yeah, where the, we, the jump, the start is yeah. dif- very difficult. <laughs> mm. Yeah, um, uh, and I think that w- I think your experiences are probably true of, of lots of mm. others. I mean, um, uh, your friends from university and the people you graduated with have have they had similar experiences? Um, it's been a mixture. So some of them have some of them went on to further study, so they're just prolonging or yeah. putting off this yeah. Yeah. <laughs> big <laughs> conundrum. Mm. <laughs> um, and then some of the a few of them have got sort of graduate schemes which are leading into proper jobs. But I'd say probably about half of us are sort of in this stage where we're we've had short-term internships or work experience and now trying to make that leap into yeah. full-time employment. Mm. I mean, I do think it is true that it's always been a point where a decisions needed to be made, but I, I, I'm sure in the past that more people did just go straight from the university into jobs in that career. Mm. Uh, it does well, seem think, now think, more than ever. Yeah, that, I, think, um, I think it's getting steadily worse. I, I think when I left university in 1991, that was, I think I'm right in saying, the first real wave of graduate unemployment. Yeah. Mm. So when I was at school, you were told with total and utter assurance that if you got a degree, you'd have your choice of yeah. jobs. Yeah. And uh, a whole wave of us mm. left university around the early 90s and found that wasn't the case at all. Mm. And of course, there are more and more degree courses, and yep. um, mm. you know, far more, far more people, sadly, coming out of university with good degrees, and then just having often quite a prolonged period of time. Mm. Yeah, and added to that, you know, that back then there wasn't a, a huge debt to be leaving uni with. Now yeah. you're talking about leaving oh, with, huge. you know, you fifty, sixty thousand pounds <laughs> of, of <laughs> debt on top of that. So, mm. so you, uh, to me, you really must. I imagine for 17, 18 year olds now, you really must have to think twice about is this mm-hmm. definitely the right course for me? Yeah. Because, you know, 60,000 pounds of debt, this is what, two two years salary mm-hmm. on top of maybe not working for a couple of years, even with your degree mm-hmm. um, versus perhaps getting into a job at 16 that you can learn on mm. the job and be earning straight away. I mean, I, I think in the past it seemed like a complete no-brainer, you know, like as you said, in school I had exactly the same, you know, do your UCAS form off, you go every expecting 100% of my year to go to university. Um, but I just don't think that's the case. Well, even among the young people I work with, it's not the case. I, I've got a number of young people this year who are um, finishing their A-levels. And only about half of them, maybe even slightly less than half, are going to university. Mm. Mm. Um, a number of them are going into um, kind of apprenticeship schemes and things like that. And yeah, I just think it's, it must be quite a difficult time because those those answers aren't quite as obvious. Mm. Um, mm. I think also with I felt that with the emphasis on just you know there was always an assumption that you would go to university when you finish school. That I think for me and for lots of my friends. Um, the important thing was going and you didn't feel like it mattered as much I suppose what what you studied lots of lots of degrees are so open-ended yeah um and I did English partly because I really enjoyed it and was good at it and partly because everybody said Mm. you know oh you can do anything with an English degree well I think the reason they say that is because it doesn't qualify you to do much (laughs) so um 
anything that you want to do afterwards with a degree in English, there are lots of things you can well, do. Most of them need further training. The idea is that they sort of stretch your mind, don't they? Yeah, and, yeah. And, train yeah. You. and I'm, I'm, sure that, I'm sure that is true. Um, I mean, I don't regret going to university. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think there's definitely a lot of, I mean, this sort of sounds a bit cliche, but transferable skills that you do yeah. pick yeah. up. Yeah. Yeah. Just sort of just generally having... Well, classics, you normally go into the civil service, don't you? And well, I don't know, I heard spies was the one. I <laughs> so who knows, if I disappear off... Well, yeah. I mean, a classics work. degree, which is what you did, yeah. isn't it? Um, you, there's language, isn't there? There's yeah. um, sort of um, poetry type mm, criticism, sort of isn't there? There's history. history. I mean, you're, you're doing quite a range of, yeah, it was of skills, aren't you, to a high degree? Yeah, I think that's part of the reason I chose it, because it was just such a broad-ranging yeah. Yeah. subject. Mm. Yeah. It meant that you got to have quite a variety of things you do. Is it hard? I mean, I found leaving university hard because um, suddenly from being able to be a kid if you want to to being an adult if you want to be, <laughs> suddenly the world expects you to be an adult. And I remember finding that quite hard. And also, um, it's quite a bubble, isn't it, when mm. you're at university, yeah. wherever you are. And then suddenly the reality of life can hit quite hard can't it that you yeah. actually have got to find a job um that it can be quite a hard slog um mm. paying for things yeah and, and then you sort of end up with tax forms that you just don't understand <laughs> they ever explain to you no to it is hilarious that you know you can learn all sorts of things in school about you know maths right up to the highest level and no one ever mm. explains how interest and how credit card works yeah. or you yeah. know it's fascinating. do you think this stuff uh, these unpaid internships do you think that is immoral and it shouldn't be allowed yeah well they're definitely exploiting the situation mm. aren't they mm. i'd say i've been very lucky in the two internships i did both were paid which was good although i think still even when not the minimum wage though was it to was it the salvation arm you didn't pay you the minimum <laughs> no, wage no 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 the <laughs> london <laughs> living wage <laughs> the london living wage yeah. I, knew it, I knew it was something scandalous <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I got paid the living wage in my first internship and the other one was less than the living wage. But I think even with the living wage, I think it would still have been very hard with yeah. only three months of fixed term employment to actually move out of home. Um, so I think, I mean, you can understand because obviously part of it is just building up experience. So it is getting you somewhere because you need the work experience to get a job. But I think it's when they don't pay you, pay you at all that yeah. then it does start bordering on exploitation because you mm. you're basically getting free labour and mm. abusing the fact that yeah. young people don't really have a choice in the matter. Yeah, I did an unturn, uh, unpaid internship, I guess, for a year or a job for a year, work placement. My university, all degrees were four years and the mm. third year you had to go to work somewhere. Some yeah. of those were paid mm. places, others weren't, and you had to present a strong case to move right on into final year without doing the work placement year. Really? Um, and we could apply for a... I think it was a half loan for that mm. year. Um, but yeah, so I, I worked as a graphic designer for a year there. And, and I think the idea that in your third year, you go work somewhere for a year, and his sister's doing the same, mm. is a really strong idea. It means you're mm. leaving uni with work yep. experience already. And um, But yeah, you've still got that opportunity that you may not be paid for, which yeah. is unfortunate. Mm. So it ends up in this sort of vicious cycle of that everywhere you apply to, you want you to have experience, but to get experience, I you know. need to have experience. And it's just end yeah. on that, stuck in that circle so I guess they think that unpaid internships are way in yeah, yeah. But, but I mean from a purely selfish point of view I think for both Anna and I the the one nice kind of byproduct of this whole thing is that you know New Malden typically I think is an area where people leave at 18 or have left at 18 mm. in the past mm. to go off to university and 
just haven't moved back to because mm. they can't afford to or whatever they've stayed in the area they went to uni yep. and and then you start to get people moving back to this area with a good job in london in their 30s and, yep. and so anna and i kind of fell right in the middle of that demographic mm. and and there hasn't in the past been many people close to our age at christchurch mm. because there's just this huge gap between yep. 18 and 35 and and uh yeah, so so having people like Alison yeah, and Sarah and Matt and, and Josh and others come come along mm. to, to church, uh, it's it, I think it ha- it's an opportunity for us as a church. And, uh, and you're all in a home group together, aren't you? Yes, we are. <laughs> we have a sort of early 20s home group with Carrie as well. She's very much a part of the home group as well. She's early 20s, is she? I don't know. So that brings us on to uh, on, on my next point then, Alison. What, could, what do you feel that the church could do to um, support people who are going through this sort of transitional stage in their life? So people who have um, left full-time mm-hmm. education and although, you know, that, that has its own difficulties and its own stresses, it, it's, a, it's quite a secure and certain time mm. in terms of knowing what you're doing um, and then to suddenly be thrust out into the world with no clue and not that much guidance really mm. um, what can the church do to offer support um, to offer reassurance um, I guess sort of part of the thing that I've loved about coming back to Christchurch is the fact that I guess a lot of people did know me growing up and, yeah. and so it's been really nice coming back and and people come and say oh, I've been praying for you already been away at university and mm. then they they know that I'm still have quite sort of uncertainties about some of the future, and so to know that they're praying, I think that can be a sort of big sense of encouragement. Um, and then also just having that home group where we are all going through fairly similar things, mm. um, yeah. Yeah. searching for new jobs, trying to work out exactly where our life is taking us. Um, it's nice to feel like you're not alone. Yeah, I think that's a big part of it, is just knowing mm. that there are other people in similar situations, um, and then being able to encourage each other. And you all eat together, don't you? Is that yeah, right? Yeah, we all eat together. Yeah, which is, sounds good. Yeah, yeah. it's great. Carrie has an amazing cook, so yeah. I definitely recommend the food. Yeah, well, Rebecca, my daughter Rebecca went for the first time, and she came back raving about the vegetarian <laughs> chilli that Carrie Ebsworth had made. Yeah, it's good, good food. I think that's really nice as well, because when you eat with people, you s- it's quite a sort of nice way of getting to know people and having yeah. that space yeah. to mm. chat about your weeks and how things have been. See, that's interesting, because I'd always assumed that... It, and I think Anna would really find this as well that it, it it's quite a difficult thing to come back to a church that you have been a child mm. in as an adult. I mean, have you found any of that at all? Or um, I guess I was very keen when I came back to be my own person, particularly because my mum's in the office, so she's fairly well known. And I, as much as I love my mum, I didn't want to just be, just be Elizabeth Hill's yeah. daughter. Um, so I was really keen to sort of just get stuck in and sort of be my own person. Mm. Mm. I think that is the key, isn't it? You know, you you have got really stuck in and mm. you you come and help with youth work and uh, you know and the children's work and children's yeah. work yeah. Explorers. Explorers. And so and i think that is probably how you, you navigate that transition i guess mm. from being a child that was served at a church really yeah. and to, to being an adult that, that's involved in serving but mm. Mm. Well, um, we're going to move on now to have a buildings update, which Ooh, I don't yeah. know what we're going to do with this slot in Look Who's Talking once yeah. the new buildings are finished. Cause we just going to carry on building. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Stephen, fill us in on what's been happening. You are getting ready to move house. Yeah, early, yeah. New Vicarage uh, finished on 25th of August, uh, which is um, at the time we're recording this, about two and a half weeks' time, I think. Um, and we move in on the 25th of August. So, yeah, the vicarage is pretty much um, completed. They're just sort of doing things like painting skirting boards and 
finishing touches. All that sort of thing. That's um, all been sorted now. I hear once James had a pink bedroom. Yeah, <laughs> they ma- they mucked up the colours. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they painted the girls' room the boys' colour and that sort of thing. Ooh. So James decided he did want that changed. He yeah. wanted blue. <laughs> That's um, fair. That's fair. So, yeah, basically, um, yeah, it's going to be a good house. I mean, the thing I'm really excited about uh, is the is the new hall, Yeah. Um, mm. which is... Um, waiting for the beams to come for the roof so nothing's happened for a few weeks but actually it's been quite sad after seeing so much progress yeah for so, yeah so but i think that's part to all focus on finishing yeah the i think that's, anyway, that is they? that so is quite a bit of it um but those beams come on the 25th so okay. the, the day we move into so the they don't get a rest then do they the builders? no they don't <laughs> our moldovan builders do not get a rest and uh yeah so they're gonna sort out but but the new hall is just looking fantastic so yeah, office downstairs uh, for you and Elizabeth to work in. Um, big hall to play sport in. Yeah. Fantastic rooms for climbers and uh, scramblers. Those rooms, and I can't encounter. believe the size of them. I've yeah. been up in them now. And it's, uh, yeah. yeah, it's just going to be fantastic. It is going to be great. With lovely views, actually. Yeah. Both yep. ways. So, uh, yeah, so it's all, all very exciting. And, um, you know, it won't be long before it's with us. I think the, uh, the halls will be around about February. Yeah, 2017. Mm. Um, so not quite lining up with our 150th anniversary. No, not uh, quite. Anniversary. Uh, but in our 150th year, which yeah. is the yeah. which is yeah. the nice thing. Mm. In the space of 150 years, I think we can forgive a month. I think so. <laughs> I think we can. I think we can. Um, well, we're going to move on now um, to talk about Christianity and politics. Um, and Alison, you talked about this in your in your sermon mm-hmm. on Sunday um, when you were talking about kind of your own faith journey. Um, so I'll come to you in a moment. But Nathan, I'm going to come to you first. Um, so what is your take on this? Do faith and politics mix or should they be kept separate at all costs? <laughs> um, I think there's no question that they, they should mix. Um, you know, I think Jesus is uh, for a long time... Uh, been portrayed as someone who, who tried his very best to almost dodge the subject. You know, when he's asked, uh, "Should we pay taxes?" He's like, "Oh, well, look at this coin. Is Caesar on it yet?" Yeah, mm. Caesar. Yeah, they keep that away. Deal with you know the the Romans in, in whatever way they ask, and and uh, and let's keep this separate. But but yet, I just don't think that fits mm. at all with any of the rest mm. of um, what's going on. And in fact, the more I've come to. Um, understand the the historical and political context that jesus was living in the more radically political you realize that the statements you know the the very statement that jesus is lord was you Mm. know the thing that they were all asked to say to caesar so to Mm. say jesus is lord was was dramatically political and you know why they were all executed yeah, so many of them were. Absolutely. You know, there was faiths all over mm. the Roman world, but Christianity suffered persecution, I, mm. I, um, I think, I'm right in saying, at a level unheard of compared to yeah. any of the other mm. religions in the empire. And I think it's because it was so deeply political that they weren't threatened by other... In fact, they amalgamated religions constantly, mm. and I guess in the end they did with Christianity. But um, So no, yeah, I, I think it's, it's important for us to engage. And I think not just um, because it has been and always should be um political but because you know the more we we read the bible the more we grow as christians the more i think aware we we should become that god has a special place uh for the poor and the oppressed and uh and wants us to stand for justice and and I can think of no better way than politics to mm. to engage with that you know i think 
I'm not sure who it was re- referenced on Sunday. Um, uh, Desmond Tutu. It was your yeah. quote, wasn't it? Was Allison, it your yeah. quote, Alison? Um, yeah. Well, it was Desmond Tutu's quote, not my yeah. actual quote. <laughs> I didn't come up with that. But, but yeah, when, when he said that, you know, uh, uh, often what Christians are involved with is pulling bodies out of a, a river in the aid that we give and in the social justice pro- or in the projects that we run to, to help people who are suffering. But at some stage, we've got to go upriver and find out the source of who's throwing these, mm-hmm. these yeah. bodies in. Yeah. And I think politics is is absolutely the the method is that easy or is that a, you know it's it's a difficult world mm. to engage that, well of course we've got a new um prime minister whose christian faith does seem to have um strongly influenced her um and um you know what theresa may said you know whether people uh would ever vote conservative or or not really is is another issue but what she said as she entered into downing street about equality and um I mean, what I found striking about that is that if it was just words, it was a very foolish thing to do mm. because she'll be held to account by it. Well, that's mm. what people I hope will politics remember. should yeah. do is holding people yeah. to account no, on think, those things yeah. that they say because yeah. often words come cheap. Well, yeah, but that's to say those things. I mean, when Margaret Thatcher said what she said as she entered down the street, I don't think she thought it would be quoted forevermore. Mm. Um, I don't think it was that sort of age where people realised, you know, she can't have quoted France of Assisi, didn't she? Whereas Theresa May would have absolutely known that she will be judged totally on what she said. And so I thought it was an immensely courageous thing to do. It sounded like a Labour Prime Minister. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, it gave me a lot of, a lot of heart. Well, Alison, if I if I come to you next, okay. so you talked a lot about your interest in politics on Sunday, and mm-hmm. I know that you have recently worked for Christians in Politics yeah. for a few months. Yeah. So I haven't warned you that I'm asking you this question. <laughs> so sorry, but um, based on everything that Nathan and Stephen have just said about mm-hmm. how important it is for us to um, for for our faith to influence our mm-hmm. politics, um, why is it that um, we can have lots of different people who are Christians and yet have Christians representing such a wide spectrum politically. Um, if, if we all as Christians are looking mm-hmm. to, to do what we feel is right, what we feel God wants us to mm-hmm. do, what we feel the Bible says and to try and make the world the way that we believe God wants it to be, um, why do Christians vote so differently from each other? big question um i guess it sort of kind of boils down to the idea i think i think most people going to politics are there because they want to improve society they want to improve um people's lives um and they want to stand up for those who are poor and marginalized and vulnerable i think it's just that people have different ideas about how to go about that yeah so i mean i think media will quite often want to stir up views that um example in sort of the left-wing media want to say that the Tories hate the poor and the yeah. right-wing media want to say how terrible um bleeding heart lefties yeah, mm. <laughs> yeah. all this stuff I think actually um if you come down to it I think most people in politics for the same reason or um to improve the lives of other people um and to create a fairer society it's just people come out with different ways of doing that and I think you can pick up a lot of principles from the bible on how society should be structured but it doesn't sort of say exactly how the economy should be structured mm. yeah it doesn't it certainly doesn't say vote blue or vote red <laughs> yeah. you know, um... so i think that's down for individuals to think about to pray about and because we are different people are going to come out with different solutions to the problem yeah 
Yeah. Mm. And they will latch on to different things of importance, mm. won't they? And I do think that um, every Christian around election time has got to think afresh about how they vote. I don't mm. think it's just a question of making yeah, a decision and then sticking with that throughout the whole of your life, is it? You know, that there will be... Uh, I'm not sure I've voted for the same party two elections. No, I'm not sure I have, actually. (laughs) Yeah, I think I did once, actually. I suppose um, that's the difficulty, though, isn't it? That we we are quite limited in terms of what Mm. we can actually vote for. So, you know, we need to vote for a a party. We don't just vote on single issues. Well, it's also tricky as well. It's easier to vote as a Christian if we were just voting on on individual issues. That would be much more black and white. There's it's a lot more tricky. weighing up yeah. to do. It's also tricky because in a lot of areas um, around here, voting Labour, um, if people do that, it has very little impact. Mm. Yeah. So quite mm. often people who are more left-wing inclined will vote Liberal Democrat because that's got a chance. It's like an anti-vote in, rather than... In, a, in this sort uh, of area, uh, yeah, but yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I, I think just uh, generally as, as Christians, the... I, I can remember when I was younger um, in Northern Ireland. Certainly, you'd you'd um, the kind of DUP or Sinn Féin yeah. dichotomy, and 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 ironically, you know, they're both, you know, in theory, you know, Christian-based yeah. uh, parties, but they're directly opposed on on mm. almost anything. Mm. And uh, but uh, but then you would have the Christian parties, and you, which you get here as well. And um, but often when I talk to Christians who well, in the past, Christians who've been involved in politics, there's this thing that's made me quite uncomfortable and I think has made a lot of people uncomfortable and perhaps why they've said we should stay away from mm-hmm. politics is this idea that we should, um, that, or that we could sort of legislate the kingdom of God into being. You know, that's the thing yeah. that I always feel mm-hmm. wary about. I, I think that I, I want to say what I'm for. I want to vote for what I'm for. But at the same time, if we do believe in democracy and we live in a country that the majority of people believe something that I don't. I, I, I think uh, there should be a certain level of respect for that as mm. Christians to challenge that in, a, mm. in an appropriate way. But um, I, I just don't believe, uh, in terms of our engagement politics, I don't believe that we're ever going to make rules or laws that get people to be more Christian. Mm. I, I, no. I just don't think that works. It's only really been tried once in our history, and that was um, in an obvious way, and that was... Um, uh, after the Civil War, you mm. know, with Puritan mm. government, yeah. and and of course it's intensely unpopular, and um, yeah, you had a restoration <laughs> fairly soon afterwards. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I think you sort of run into the danger then of assuming that politics can solve everything, which it can't. Yeah, there are some things that politics can't solve. I mean, that doesn't mean we shouldn't get involved and shouldn't be engaging with it. But I think to assume that it's suddenly going to solve absolutely every single problem there is is just. This is not going to happen. Yeah, you make you make the perfect law, and everyone all of a sudden abides by it, and, yeah. and, it, and society fixes itself yeah. and is working. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, well, that's all been very interesting. I'm really conscious. I don't want us to run out of time before we have talked about the pros and cons of being brought up in a Christian family. <laughs> so uh, we're not a very diverse panel on this topic no. today, no. Uh, because all of us have been brought up in families um, that had a very strong faith at the centre of them. Um, but we can still discuss the pros and cons. So Nathan, I'm going to come to you first. Okay. Um, being brought up in a Christian family, did you do you think that's good or bad? I can only speak to my experience, but yeah, personally, um, yeah, I, I'm very grateful for the upbringing I had. I'm, I, 
I was brought up in the midst of a community as much as anything else. Mm. You know, that's that's um, working as a youth worker. That's something I realize. So many young people um, are so hungry for interaction with other adults and um, being part of something bigger. And there's been things that I've thought there's no way in a million years I'd get uh, a young person to come to. But I can remember at one stage having them queuing up to serve tea and coffee to 11 o'clock members um, at a at a cream tea, I think it was, that we were putting on. Mm. Because they just love being part of something bigger. And that's something that I think I probably took for granted as a kid. Mm. Um, but I've had so many people... Um, as Alison referenced earlier, pray, praying for me, but also like pouring into me and, and uh, yeah, um, that have influenced my my life. And, and I look back and I, I realize how little I grasped that at the time, but that, yeah. that's been a huge privilege. Um, I think we're in a culture where a lot of people, um, there's quite a lot of pressure to present it as negative, you know, that everyone should be allowed their own choice and their own decision. Yeah. Um, and... Um, and, and and yet actually to be brought up in a uh in a very sort of um nurturing environment um is hugely healthy um for anyone um and i'm certainly you know hugely grateful that i was brought up in a christian family i think it it does mean that there are uh, certain aspects of how uh you know as a vicar i think there is a a bit of a weakness I have to not really understand through experience yeah. what it's like mm. to be outside of a Christian community. So I think, you know, I rely on other people to sort of, you know, sort of lead the way uh, but in sort of understanding that at, at church. But I'm particularly grateful to the sort of integrity that I was brought up with yeah. in my parents, mm. really. That was the thing that really made the impact uh, upon me. That I was in no doubt whatsoever that the major thing that they wanted for uh, myself and my two brothers was to grow up with a faith uh, in Jesus Christ, which was really meaningful to the decisions that we were taking in our lives. So it wasn't sort of nominal at any point. Yeah. You know, you could tell that this was really something that was believed. Yeah, that's interesting. You said that that would be the thing that stands out for me as well. Was I never had a question as to yeah. what my parents wanted most for me yeah if someone asked me that i would have known in seconds i don't yeah. know how many other kids would would know they yeah may give a load of different answers about education about maybe who they marry about yeah. you know, family and things like that but for me it was absolutely certainly that i should know god and yeah. grow to be the man that i was yeah. made to be yeah. and uh, everything else was important but yep. um, but kind of was seen through the lens of that. Yeah. Mm. Um, but also, you said about um, you know people should be free to have a choice, and you know that kind mm. of the suspicion, I guess, yeah. of raising mm. a child in a it's Christian as indoctrination, community. isn't it? But, but the thing I always find interesting with that is it's absolute nonsense that everyone doesn't do that with their children. Yeah. Mm. Of course, everyone raises their children to have values yeah. that they have decided based on whatever influences and whatever um, communities they've been a part of or whatever things have influenced and shaped them. And yes, there comes a point when children need to make their own minds up, but I think it's exactly the same yeah. in, in a, within the context mm. of a Christian community. You said that on Sunday that you know you were brought up, but that you decided at, yeah. at certain points to... Yeah, because I think it's never really going to be the case where you get brought up in a Christian family and then you are forced to be a Christian. So I think it does come to a point where you are going to have to make that choice for yourself. Yeah. Um, I noticed that quite a few people I knew, um, they 
only really made that choice when they went to university because it's the first time that they were away from their families mm. and um, were able to actually decide that this was something they wanted for themselves. Um, but I think, yeah, I think everyone is going to have a choice. And yeah, so I think to say that, therefore, we shouldn't bring people up with a particular worldview. And as Nathan was saying, everyone mm. has a worldview that they, yeah. l- the way they view the world and the values they want to impart to their children, whether or not that's got a Christian name or whether it's just more general. Mm. Um, We've talked on the show before, haven't we, about in terms of youth work, that actually there's very little really that you can do if you haven't got the support of the parents yeah. or yeah. you know that has a dramatic effect and I think when particularly from my point of view that when parents are providing some sort of commentary Christian commentary on life and some sort of interpretive commentary on what goes on at church I think that is incredibly mm. helpful yeah so when the family come along to church if they don't have to be talking about it the whole time but if they are at least talking about it part of the time or when uh, things blow up at school and someone you know, comes home very upset because someone's made a nasty comment, if at least at some points Christianity can be referenced, I think that makes the mm-hmm. crucial difference. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. I think then what children see is that uh, this sort of faith, which could uh, come over to them as something you just do, which is fairly nominal, when they see that actually parents are making some effort to process it and individualise it, yeah. I think that makes a really big impact. And when I look back at, um, you know, when I was younger, I think those were the points that had the biggest influence on me. Mm. You know, it was the sort of when Christianity was referenced at home, particularly when it came to sort of difficult things. Yeah. yeah. I mean, even in the last year, I've had parents um, approach me and say, you know, my... Uh, son struggling with this or uh, you know my my daughter has this the questions about this do you think you could come around and talk and sometimes mm. that has turned into a, a conversation that's been followed up but I've been able to like mm. but uh, and other times it hasn't but um I think that involving the community in yep. the the raising of the children mm. as well you know is when they have a difficult issue that you don't have an answer for to say oh let's get the vicar around or to say <laughs> you know like mm. have you asked Nathan or you you know I think that's that's important yeah. too because it shows that it's not just a, a thing that you as a family do on yeah. a, but, it, mm. but that it's I suppose that is the potential disadvantage isn't it you know I don't think there are actually disadvantages to being brought up as a Christian but I suppose one of the things that people could potentially see is does it ever actually become personal and yeah. become your mm. own faith and people sometimes say God has no grandchildren to try to I think convey the the view that it has to become personal which mm. i think it does but I, but I, th- I think growing up in a christian family can make that process easier i think mm. it can help it so it's not to say it doesn't happen because yeah. i know for me growing up in a christian family i think probably 95 percent of the bible stories i know are stories that i learned before the age of 10 yeah. and that won't mm. just be through church and sunday school i yeah. you know i was taught them at home yeah i learned to pray almost as soon as i learned to speak and so for me um i haven't had um i haven't had the struggle learning to pray that Mm. some people might if if they 
became a Christian as an adult. Yeah. Um, but what I have had is struggles to do with whether God answers prayer or why God answers some prayers and not others. Mm. And th- those are things that growing up in a Christian family hasn't sheltered me from. Those no. are things I've had to yeah. come up with myself. Yeah. And similarly, knowing lots of Bible stories has given me a really good footing and, you know, a good understanding of lots of little snapshots yeah. of the Bible. But the point of these Bible stories is that they all fit together to help us to understand who God is and how God operates and what God wants for us. Um, and and so that's helped me as an adult. The fact that I know all those Bible stories mm. has helped me as I try to work those things out for myself, but it didn't work them out for me. I still yeah. have mm. had to do that yeah. for myself. So I think it, growing up in a Christian family can give you give you much easier access to all of the building blocks that can be put together to make a great personal faith but your parents can't build that for you or your Mm. grandparents can't build that for you your sunday school teachers can't build that for you you still do have to do it yourself but it but it's a huge advantage to have that help um from a very young age and to know that your parents want you to go to the effort of building that yeah. you know, rather than just handing you some blocks to play with and then we'll move on to more advanced you know we'll move from duplo to lego when you're yeah. a bit, bit mm. older and go to university or whatever those the, the next toy is um t- but to know that those blocks that your parents are, have put in place are are something they want you to incorporate into your mm. life but mm. so Stephen, what would you say about you know obviously not everybody has had this experience there are lo- yeah. lots of people come to faith yeah, either as do. a teenager or as an adult yeah. or sometimes really quite late in life so what are the unique things that 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 kind of experience well can i bring think they're faith? immensely valuable i mean i you know it's one you know i think all of us have said how grateful we are for our strong christian upbringing um but it, i think it's another example of the way that god can use things that are less than ideal to bring really good and unique stuff out of and so at Christchurch we do really do rely upon uh, a number of people who've come to faith later in life um, for having sort of that realism about what the outside world is like yeah Mm. Um, I mean a lot of my friends who are Christians and their family aren't they for instance say Christmas is a completely sort of secular time for them because they go and see their family and you know for me Chris growing up in a Christian family Christmas was all about church and sort of particularly in a clergy family you're you know dominated by it really yeah um but some people have just a very very different perspective Mm. and it's a really valuable one because I guess I have lived in a Christian bubble uh, through a lot of my life and however much I've done in you know sort of uh, non-Christian settings um I've always had this very secure Christian basis surrounding me and of course that's not most people's experience um so I think the people that we've got who come from a different sort of background uh, have a vital um, sort of role of bringing realism to our whole mission, the way that people you know, would think differently, um, you know, brought up in a sort of different culture, um, tough experiences of life, and obviously people who are brought up as Christians have difficult experiences as well. Um, but, you know, just in the last two or three years, it's come home to me how uh, some people that I know who've been uh, brought up sort of in, in not a particularly Christian setting, how, how just totally and utterly different the assumptions are that they're brought up with mm-hmm. um, and how I need to be a bit better really at understanding a lot of that, you know, yeah. people's starting points, the sort of mm-hmm. things people fear, the aspirations they have, yeah. often the lack of hope that they have you know that's the 
um, I think, you know, I grew up surrounded by a very, very strong message of security and hope. And that, of course, makes you behave very differently to if you haven't had those things. Yeah. Mm. Um, well, I think that's all that we've got time for this month. Um, but uh, do remember that for more information about Christchurch, you can visit our website, ccnm.org. Um, do also look out for the special section that's just got all of the Why I'm a Christian sermons. It's a really, really good place to look if you haven't been there already. Um, we're also on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christchurch New Malden. And you can follow us on Twitter on at CCNM News. Um, but that's all from us. See you next month. Mm-hmm.